You're listening to Locked On Orders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're having a good day, all things considered. Tom Gazzola here from Edmonton Sports Center, TSN 1260. Yesterday on the podcast, part one with Oilers play-by-play voice Jack Michaels. Today, we're going to get into part two, a little more fun. Some stories from the road, crazy times in the ECHL, stuff like that, and uh, more on the Oilers and the season that they have had to this point. A couple of news items to pass along your way in regard to the NHL as it remains in pause. The league has extended the quarantine window by 10 days. It was supposed to be up by the 27th of March. It's been moved up to 10 days more, attacked on 10 days more. And then the teams have been asked by the National Hockey League to provide possible dates as late as August now. We heard that the NHL asked teams to provide building dates uh, in July. And now they've asked for dates in August from all 31 member clubs of the National Hockey League. And that tells you how dearly and desperately the NHL wants to somehow conclude the 2019 2020 NHL season. That brings us to this from colleague Frank Saravalli, who says the league is doing everything it can to salvage the season because it could see revenue losses over a billion dollars if it can't play out the season. So big time, big time skin in the game, not only for the NHL, its member clubs, but the players as well. You'll remember revenue sharing is 50 50 between the league and the players. And so they want to find a way to get this done. But, you know, we're in a week where things are escalating in terms of confirmed cases of the COVID-19 virus. So who knows? The the wait continues, basically, and we'll see where it goes. The league extending that quarantine window by 10 days and also asking for dates for buildings around the National Hockey League as late as August. Ice could be an issue, but the league will do everything it can to make all of that work considering how hot it gets, especially in the Southern States and Frank Saravalli saying that the NHL and the players could lose up to a billion dollars if they can't find a way to salvage some part of the end of the season. So that's the news du jour in the national hockey league. Let's get back into Oilers play-by-play voice. Jack Michaels interview with me here on locked on Oilers. One of the the things this team really lacked going into the season, Jack, obviously there's question marks about the goaltending. People didn't know if the defense would hold up. I thought the defense probably was the team's strong suit going into the season. But there was a lack of depth at forward. And then I look at the roster now and and go back to the roster on paper, obviously, and you look at the additions of Athanasiu and Ennis, and I look at that roster now and I'm like, you know what? This team has depth. Having said that, Like, you forget the fact that Mike Green is still on the roster as, like, a seventh defenseman. Uh, Right. You forget that. Now, having said that, you know, if there were a postseason, had things not changed, and we were, you know, wrapping up the regular season at this point, do you think that this team could have done some damage in the postseason? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, part of it is, again, the fact that they were able to win some regular season games while playing at a high level against opponents that were playing at a high level. I, I think that was part of it. In other words, they they went through some, you know, a grind this year. I mean, Connor McDavid missed a handful of games. Uh, Zach Cassian was suspended. Uh, they had numerous injuries, and, and that's why 
you know, some of their guys were pressed into roles that we didn't anticipate them being in. I mean, look, I, you know, I know you said the strength of the team might have been its defense at the start of the season. I don't think you thought that defense would necessarily be comprised of Mike Green, Ethan Bear, and Caleb Jones. I no, mean, I, those, <laughs> not at all. Those three weren't on my radar. I mean, if you were hoping that, you know, you know, you had Russell and Benning as a, as a third pair and, and maybe, you know, at the, at the start of the year, the, the real, the real telling point is who would play alongside, you know, Darnell nurse. I mean, that was yep. really who was going to be that guy. And, and, you know, they brought in obviously uh, the kid from Sweden that they, they were, they were trying to get, um, a piece there and what it turned out to be was Ethan Bear. I mean that and that that for me kick-started a defense that did turn out to be much better than than maybe you anticipated and as you point out they got they got even more depth at the deadline uh, and they did it you know really for a song. I mean they they did not give away a, a ton of assets in that deal and and yes in a perfect world you find a way to keep Sam Gagne, but you got to give up something to get the three pieces that the Oilers were able to get. Right. You know, Tyler Ennis immediately joined the team, and and you're talking about your your fifth leading score. I mean, you you bring in a guy who's you know in your top five when it comes to the overall attack, and that's that's Tyler Ennis and another guy like Afedasiu that you can move up and down the lineup, and that's what they have right now. They have a bunch of guys that you can move up and down the lineup, and when you're building around. Dry Subtle McDavid and Nugent Hopkins, that's what you need. You ultimately need guys that don't have the egos that require them to play in the top six or they're going to disappear. Mm-hmm. And so when you've got guys like Archibald and Cassie and an Ennis who have played on all four lines throughout their career, it's not a big deal for them to transition mid-game, mid-week, mid-season. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about guys who are double-digit goals, uh, guys like Cassie and Archibald who are headed for career years. And it, it was a team that I think, along with its depth, was also in a pool of Western Conference teams that was there to be had this year, Tom. Yep. The Western Conference is not what it once was. The Pacific Division is certainly not what it once was. That's not to take anything away from Edmonton. But the fact of the matter is, is that division is not nearly as good at the top or in the middle as it once was. And so when you get into the mix in that division and in that conference, you've got a shot. Even St. Louis was showing some warts. Dallas was sailing along and then they – what they they hadn't scored a goal in what two hundred and twenty minutes at one point or something like that, you know. So even at the top of the Central Division, the supposedly stronger division, you had teams at the top of that division all of a sudden not playing their best hockey, and so anything becomes possible under that scenario. I mean, Nashville and Vegas, two uber talented teams, you know until recently for Vegas hadn't really figured it out. And, and again, I'm not sure where Vegas would have been over the last eight or nine games because they changed their team at the deadline in order to give them a, a bit of a spark. And, and they had been winning a ton of games. So that sometimes can change your chemistry and change your results short term. So, and in the West, I honestly think if you got into the field of eight, you had a shot no matter where you finished. 
Yeah. Well, I hope, like I said, optimistically, there's some kind of season conclusion. Oh, I'm and with I hope, you. I'm yeah. with you. I hope you're right. I, I absolutely hope you're right because to not finish this season off would be, you know, a, a bit of a disappointment because, again, uh, from an Oiler-centric perspective, this was a really interesting team with a number of character-building victories over the course of the regular season. And I would have loved to see how that translated in the playoff competition. Jack Michaels joining us now, play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers. Hey, Jack, our good buddy Gene Principe on this podcast said that travel is the best part of his job and the worst part of it. Over the years, has your appreciation or love of travel for work changed at all? No, I, I still love the traveling. Gene, Gene is uh, – Gene is quite frankly the father of the year most years. Yes. <laughs> and so he he anguishes over every lost hour. I think uh, my family to some degree uh, looks forward to me getting on the plane and, and me getting back to work in this case. I think I think a little of me goes a long way. I think Gene might have more staying power. He's uh, he's he's lunch meat with a lot more preservatives than mine. But that's another <laughs> comparison I'll use. Mine, mine tends to go rotten pretty quickly. Uh, I love the travel. And, uh, you know, you and I had the opportunity to basically be, you know, running mates on the road for, for the better part of eight years. And, you know, it never gets old for me. And so when I think about, you know, my time with the Edmonton Oilers, sure, I think about the games. I think about some of the relationships I've made amongst the players and the coaching staff and, and the executive staff and, and the staff at, at Rogers Place, all those things. I've, I've worked with some great people over the last 10 years, but I've also enjoyed getting out and seeing the world. And, uh, you know, that, that for me never gets old. And, and by that, I don't mean the other 30 National Hockey League arenas. I mean, you know, having a chance in most cities – to spend a certain degree of time and, and appreciate what makes those cities tick. And yep. uh, that's, that's one of the great things about my work is, you know, for me, uh, I'm not necessarily a homebody. Um, I love coming home, but I also uh, love getting out and seeing the world. And, and luckily, you know, in the national hockey league, you're talking about the biggest and best cities out there in North America. And even beyond, uh, you know, that, that experience of, of going over to Europe and, and having an opportunity to, to do that was, you know, again, something I, uh, you know, had I been in a different occupation, I might never have had the opportunity to go to Sweden or Germany. Right. So these are experiences that, uh, you know, for me, at least do not grow old. I never get sick of a quote unquote grind. For me, it's never been a grind. And uh, it's always been a privilege to, to get out and see some really cool places. Yeah, you know what? I haven't had an assignment on the road since the 2019 trade deadline in Nashville, which I did for TSN. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it was good being back on the road with the team, but I was not with the team, which was weird. But you and I still had a good time. And my brother was there, which was nice to be on the road with him. And I'll tell you what, Jack, I, I miss – Shake Shack so much right now and in and out. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, but you know what? I, we, you know, a Shake Shack was a little before you and I's time. You must have developed an affinity for Shake Shack. Pretty I late. Mean, I, I remember going with you a couple 
couple times, but it wasn't it wasn't really in the regular cycle. Uh, I know your pre- I know your uh, successor is a big fan of Shake Shack, and it's it's now a little bit more popular than it was when you were on a you know a day to day travel schedule with us. So I I I respectfully have to defer a little bit on Shake Shack. You're sounding a little too modern and contemporary. For me. <laughs> Well, we did make a lot of in and out runs. Now, how about during that playoff yes. run in 2017? I think we lived off the stuff. Well, and, and the other thing is you and I deserve a lot of credit because I, I don't know whether you've noticed, but uh, Jersey Mike's is now proud Ooh. sponsor of Southeastern Athletic Conference football on <laughs> CBS. They have made it big, and I like to think you and I had a hand in propelling them to the level we're at right now because it yes. was also that 16-17 season where we started hitting the Jersey Mike subs awfully hard. Well, and the most impressive part about Jersey Mike's, great sandwiches and hoagies and all that, but you would go for not the large, the super, and you would polish that thing You off had in like the giant minutes. too. You <laughs> had the giant too. Don't put it all on me. I have photos of you inhaling a giant. So you were just as consumptive as I was. And that's the <laughs> nicest word I can put it because we did tend to gorge ourselves. Uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> um, but you, okay. One unique story that I, I just want you to share with everyone is you guys, when you were in the ECHL with the Alaska aces, did you guys not almost wind up being on the road for a full month in the schedule? We were, we were on the road for a full month. It How did that happen? Well, it wasn't that odd for, uh, the team to go out for say, let's say 17, 18 days. That wasn't that out of the norm where, where say you'd go out on a road on Thursday and then basically play the next three weekends on the road, you know, with some practices and maybe one weekday game in between. So you'd go out on a Thursday, you'd play Friday, Saturday on the road, then you'd play Wednesday, then you'd play the following Friday, Saturday, Sunday on the road, then you'd play maybe on a Tuesday and then finish up with another Friday and Saturday and fly home on a Sunday. So that, you know, Thursday to Sunday, what's that, 16, 17 days. Yeah. That wasn't that odd. Uh, Alaska had some building challenges. Its arena was used for like a home and flower show in the spring. So often – that part of the schedule would be in and around the month of March. Not really unlike the Oilers, except in reverse, where the Oilers often play a ton of home games in March. In Alaska, the Aces ended up playing a lot of road games in March. Right. So one of these years, similar schedule, except the hiccup on this particular point was there was a fourth weekend with no games in between also on the road. And I can't remember what the set of circumstances in the building, but there was an extra problem. You know what I think it was, is I think it was one of those, you know, lower tier football leagues, like even (laughs) below, even below AF2. It might've been whatever the other, you know, I, I, I think that's what it was. And they, they snuck in there and poached a game in late March. I remember being really upset with the arena GM who's still a friend of mine to this day and actually, uh, actually got us tickets to Wrigley one year, but in any event, that's another story. So 
bottom line is when we looked at the schedule, we had three weekends with a, you know, a midweek game sprinkled in there. So whatever it was, it was like eight games in 17 days. And then we had from Saturday to the following Friday, completely off. So we were like, all right, well, let's get home on the Sunday and kind of retool, regroup, do some laundry, see our families, and then fly back out on Thursday. Right. And that was that was a bit of a financial commitment in and of itself because, you know, back then the, the round-trip flights, I was doing well if I was doing $500 a ticket. So 20 tickets times 500 bucks, you got 10 grand. So it's a 10 grand commitment to get the guys home. Right. Um, you know, and you're and doing the travel at this point too. For the- I'm doing all the travel and all the hotels. So yeah. you're saving some hotel rooms too. That's the other thing is like, look, we're not playing a game. We're not knocking out any games. So maybe being home for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leave, you know, Thursday. And where, where we were going is we were going to Utah. And we were finishing up that stretch of 17 days in Phoenix. So we were going to fly direct Anchorage to Salt Lake on Delta Airlines on that Thursday following the week at home. Right. So we finish up in Phoenix and we're flying home on Sunday and a volcano blows up in Anchorage. Oh, and we, right. we, we land in Seattle uh, no, we didn't even land in Seattle. What complicated things was, and this was just unbelievable. We had played Vegas, I think on a Friday on a, like maybe a Wednesday, Friday, and then played Phoenix on Saturday. And my family and the head coach of the Alaska Aces, Keith McCambridge at the time, his family were visiting for the week we had spent in Vegas. I think we had some sort of you know, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday deal in Vegas, and then we split for Phoenix. So the the ladies were caught with their infant children at the time in Seattle. They did manage to sneak home. And when they arrived, there was ash on the ground. The volcano had blown up. And ultimately, they ended up closing. They ended up shutting down all flights into Anchorage for a full day. And it was the day we were supposed to fly. So they flew in on Saturday from Vegas. We were flying in Sunday from Phoenix. That's what it was. And when I got up and I saw that all flights from Seattle to Anchorage were grounded, I said to Keith, what's the point of flying to Seattle? We're on the road. Let's just bag it and divert. He goes, okay, fine. We'll go to Utah. And I said, Keith, (laughs) If we're spending a week somewhere, we're not going to spend it in Utah. No. And I might have <laughs> lied to him. I, I think I came up with an excuse. Well, actually, it's more complicated if we do that. I, I, think I, I think I came up with some sort of BS line that he probably read through, and I said, I said, why don't we just stay in Phoenix? We're already here. And ultimately, I was able to convince him. Forget spending a week in Salt Lake. Yeah. So we spent the entire week in Phoenix, uh, Sunday through Thursday. And then we took the last flight out uh, on Thursday night to get into Utah. And then we played our Friday-Saturday games against the Utah Grizzlies at the E-Center, which was the site of the 2002 Olympics. Right. So we ended up spending the whole week in Phoenix. And it was funny because I think Keith – you know, being the taskmaster, he said, all right, well, we'll give him Monday off, but we're practicing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so every morning the bus would show up at 10 a.m. I'd say, all right, guys, 
have a good practice. And then I head straight, head straight to the pool. And the other thing I did that whole week was I wasn't even spending that much time in the pool because it was spring training. And right. so me and a buddy went to about six or seven spring training games. We ended up chatting mid-game with Ozzie Guillen who at that time was uh, still managing the Chicago White Sox. They had wow. won the World Series a few years back. So it actually just – so and ultimately we get back finally on Sunday night from Utah, and it had wrapped up at that point, uh, I believe it was 26 days on the road. So wow. nearly a month. I, I think it was 26 or 27. I can't remember the exact number, but it was within a – a day or two of a month, so it might have been even 28, 29. <laughs> I, could, I could just envision and hear you telling Keith McCambridge why. why? No, way we're, well, no way we're spending the week in Utah. You no. know what it was? It was a Friday, Saturday. You know what it was? Now that I, because the reason I knew we got to 27 or 28 days is we had a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Utah. So we played a three and three. And because we were booking the flight so late, we couldn't all get home on Monday. So I think. I flew the team home collectively on Tuesday. Oh. So we might have had an extra day in Utah where we were just sitting around waiting to go home. Ugh. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what made it a total of something like 28 days. It was, it was crazy. I mean, I, 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 you know, that was, that was a trip I'll never forget. And only, only when you're, you know, operating a team that's in Alaska do you have to factor – uh, the impact of a volcano in your team travel plans. Well, I'll tell you what, Phoenix, especially during spring training, is excellent. You know, my parents have a place down there. Uh, not the same place, though. We'd always have the media barbecues. And having driven through Salt Lake City, Utah, many times for my Gazola Boys golf trip, uh, you definitely made the right call. <laughs> I think that's yeah, hilarious no, I, the way you well, pulled that off. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I just, I mean, it was just funny the way it the way it all worked out. But that was part of the life of the miners. You had stuff yeah. like that all the time. I always say the two worst drives I've ever taken in my life were both around uh, that league's all-star games, and they were both in California on the grapevine. Uh, one was a trip from Fresno to San Diego where the grapevine was closed, and the other was a trip from Stockton no, excuse me, Ontario, California to Stockton. Both teams that, of course, are, are you know, are now American League teams. Yep. Uh, they were in the ECHL and then, and both were over the All-Star game. Both were sudden, crazy snowfalls. And those are the worst driving conditions I've ever had. I turned to I, – I remember the one I'll, – I'll tell you the, the first one. That, that I remember, and that was in 2009, the winter of 2009. And that drive from Ontario to Stockton, I think normally is completed in somewhere around five hours, and it took me eight and a half. Oh, yeah. And I had a couple players in there with me, and oh, yeah, it was just, Miserable. it was just absolutely horrendous and, and flat out dangerous. That grapevine in California. Uh, you know, everyone laughs when I say the worst uh, driving conditions I've ever had in my life were in the state of California, but that's absolutely a true statement. Hey, man, Northern California gets chilly too, and uh, that's a fact. But is that technically Northern California? Not even really. I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the Central Valley there. You know, when you start getting up into Stockton, I suppose you can get away with calling it North Northern California. Right. But as you know, I mean, California is such a long state. You still got it. 
you still got a number of uh, a number of cities above that, like Reading and uh, Sacramento. So, uh, bottom line is, is it's just it's funny to talk about a California, especially you know a drive originating you know from from Fresno and and Ontario, which as you know is just forty five minutes east of L.A. Fresno yep. is very close to Bakersfield, the longtime yep. affiliate now of, of the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, you just don't think of drives originating from those cities. And Bakersfield, as you know, is probably only an hour and a half from L.A. And Fresno is another, you know, hour up the road from that. It, you just don't think of running into that kind of weather. And, no. and it absolutely is a uh, true statement. Just absolute mayhem on the roads. And, and oh. in the one case, the All-Star game back in 2001 – we were actually one of the last cars to be allowed on the road. They closed it right after wow. we got on it. Otherwise, we would have been spending the night in some godforsaken place. <laughs> okay. Maybe I the side that. of the road. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's scary. Okay, great stories to, to wrap this up. I want to ask you for any good TV, music, game, or book recommendations that uh, you might have for people. Did you see Tiger King yet? I just started this thing absolutely insane on netflix yeah i started that i watched an episode and a half i i find that almost too unsettling i'm not sure i'm not sure where my status is on that because you're you're dealing with a a segment of the population that let's just say i hope i never come across but uh <laughs> yeah that is I, I mean and also just the the fact that's you know somehow that that isn't something that the police don't shut down. I, I didn't even realize some of that was legal to have these random parks with random people as employees getting their arms torn out by oh. tigers. Yeah, it was nuts. It was that was that was a pretty crazy series. I, look, the best series right now um, that's actually on television. It's not even Netflix, but the best series right now, if you haven't given it a shot, is uh, Better Call Saul. And that is the prequel to Breaking Bad. I, right. Did you see Breaking Bad? Did you get through that or no? I never got into it, Jack. I never, never got, got into, into it. it. No. Nope. Well, that's a series that I'm sure a lot of your friends did get into yes. and, and a series you've probably heard. Yes. Uh, but the prequel to it, Better Call Saul, which is going right now on AMC in the States, is I think the best show on television. I love it. I, yeah. I really do. I, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Uh, uh, so if you haven't gotten into Better Call Saul, I would certainly recommend that for everyone. I, I gave Spencer Confidential a shot the yep. other day. That, that was on Netflix. Uh, found that movie pretty silly and stupid. Um, had a hard time really you know, kind of buying <laughs> what that movie was trying to sell me. Did you see it? No, but I've been into Dirty Money lately because season two came out and I recommended it to you. So whenever you're done, I recommend Dirty Money. Well, and the other one I think we both need to try that's along the same lines is Billions. I yes. keep hearing that I keep hearing that Billions is fantastic, and I haven't given it a shot yet. So at some point, I'm going to have to give that a look too. Well, I've got a lot of respect for Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti, so I, I should get into that one. See, as I'm well. not a Paul Giamatti guy. He for me has gotten annoying over the years. Mm. Uh, I didn't particularly like. I maybe he just plays annoying characters. I didn't like his character in Cinderella Man. I didn't like it in uh, in uh, the one with uh, Sideways. I didn't like that oh, one. Yeah, yeah I, I, I he's a little apology. Giamatti goes a long way with with me. I'm not a huge fan, so that's why I've been resistant 
to yep. get into billions, but everyone tells me it's a really good show. So at some point, obviously with this extended break, I wouldn't be surprised if I at least gave it a chance. Emily, uh, my wife really enjoyed uh, the stranger. Have you heard about that at all? No. What's in, what's that one? That one's pretty bizarre. I, I didn't watch it with her, but it's pretty bizarre. It's, uh, and I tried to get into the, you know, the one that I liked for a while, but it, I, I lost interest once his character was killed off and it was the outsider, the Stephen King one. Oh, but really? I have, a hard, I have a hard time with those nonsensical, like where it's all, you know, possible because of sci-fi. I mean, that to me, I have right. a hard time. I'm not that side of the brain type of guy where I can just completely suspend reality and explain everything by some random, you know, science fiction type deal. I can't <laughs> do that. And that's the only thing with the, what I am looking forward to though, Tom, and it, and it uh, restarts this weekend, I believe. I think it's March 30th is Ozark season. Oh three. Yes. Have you seen the first two of those? So good. So good. You, so Excellent. you saw both of them. Yep. Jason Bateman's phenomenal phenomenal yeah. in that yeah so season three of ozark is coming on the 30th and that'll that'll springboard us a little bit but i if i were you i'd honestly try to give breaking bad or better better call saul a shot and it depends whether you want the chronological feel with better call saul but you're going to run out of runway and have to wait for a season and a half so you're probably better off start with breaking bad see if you can get into it i it took okay. me a while to get into it i like breaking bad i like better call saul more it is in my opinion, by far the best show on television. Buddy, thank you for the recommendations. Thank you for story time and your uh, insight into what could be or might not be an exciting summer for us uh, sports-wise and in, in the case of the Oilers. Jack, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for doing this, pal. Always a pleasure, Tommy. I miss you, pal. Amazing stuff from Jack, one of my good friends. Him and I were actually hired the same week by Oilers Entertainment Group. He, to much more fanfare, of course, replacing legendary voice and Hall of Famer Rod Phillips. I came in with a position that was just created as the host of Oilers TV. And at that time, digital TV was nowhere near where it's at right now. And so nobody really knew who I was and didn't really care. And it took some time to build up a, a bit of a rapport around the Oilers fan base and to the point where I feel like I have a good relationship with the fans and I truly appreciate and admire that. And uh, it's just funny, uh, it, all these years later, it's 10 years later that uh, Jack and I are still really good friends and it's great to catch up with him and have him back on the podcast. That brings us to this day in hockey history, March 25th, 1982, monumental day for the National Hockey League, the Oilers, and Wayne Gretzky as he sets an NHL record for fastest two shorthanded goals, scoring twice in a 27-second span during the second period of an Oilers-Flames game. And by the way, during that game, Gretzky became the first player in National Hockey League history to score 200 points in a season. The four points gave Gretzky 203 points for the 81-82 season, and that came in a 7-2 Oilers win at Calgary. So Gretzky becoming the first player to reach 200 points in an NHL season on this day 38 years ago, March 25th, 1982. Amazing, amazing. Gretzky would do it three more times throughout the course of his career. The only guy to ever do so, Mario Lemieux, had a 199-point season. And, uh, you know, it's just incredible what those guys, Lemieux, Gretzky, and all those players in the 80s were able to accomplish. 
during the high-flying 80s. So there you have it. That does it for this edition of Locked On Oilers. Hope you enjoyed the two-parter with Jack Michaels coming up on Thursday. Former Oiler, Curtis Hamilton. He got into one game as an Oiler. He was a second-round pick in 2010. He joins the podcast, gets us up to speed on what he's been up to. Still playing. He was in Belfast, Ireland with the Belfast Giants this past season. So we'll catch up with him. That does it for this edition of Locked On Oilers. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tell your smart device to listen to Locked On NHL. Myself, Joe DiBiase, chime in every Friday on the show to get you up to speed and sit you up for the weekend when it comes to the National Hockey League. Have a great day, everyone. Talk to you tomorrow.